Hello world, this is Roger Corville and this is For the Hope, where we read through the Bible conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity intentionally, and learn together to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. We got about a week and a half to go to Easter and one of the things that I haven't seen yet is a magazine cover. Which happens, seems like it's almost every year. You see a magazine cover, you're standing in the checkout line at the grocery store, and you see some magazine that says, have we found the real Jesus? Or something like that. Funny how he is on the lips of everyone. Whether they love him or hate him, you got to figure out to do what to do with him. And, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that today. Which theory best accounts for the data with regard to what happened on that first Easter morning? That's the question we'll be working through after today's Bible reading. HCSB translation this week, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that lay before him, endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that, so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons when it says, My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit, so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and your weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed 
instead. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and by it defiling many. And make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for one meal. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, to gloom, a storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Those who heard it begged that it... Let me try this again. There's this, uh, I'm just going to pause. There is an extended little chunk here that the HCSB sets apart in parentheses. So I'm going to go back for just a sec. For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Parentheses. Those who heard it begged that not another word would be spoken to them for... They could not bear what was commanded when it said, And if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. Therefore, appearance was, the, the appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am terrified and trembling. End of parentheses. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels in festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to God who is the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, to Jesus, mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. Make sure that you do not reject the one who speaks capital O. Make sure that you do not reject the one who speaks. For if, for if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also heaven. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. By it, we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality. For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Marriage must be respected by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge immoral people and adulterers. 
Your life should be free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave or forsake you. Therefore we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by foods, since those involved in them have not, been, have not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by, a high, by the high priest as a sin offering, those bodies are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate, so that he might sanctify the people bearing his... Oh, let me try that again. So that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go, on to, uh, go to him outside the camp bearing his disgrace for we do not have an enduring city here instead we seek the one to come therefore through him let us continually offer up to god a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips that confess his name do not do not neglect to do what is good and to share for god is pleased with such sacrifices Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience, wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. And I especially urge you to pray that I may be restored to you very soon. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, with the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you, now may the God of peace equip you with all that is good to do, to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Glory belongs to him forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released. If he comes soon enough, he will be with me when I see you. Greet all your leaders and, the saint, and all the saints. Those who are from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. And that wraps up the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is quite the argument, right? The author points us to the superiority of Jesus, who's superior to the prophets, superior to the angels, superior to Moses, and provides a superior priesthood on the basis of a superior covenant. And not only is Jesus superior to the foundational aspects of, of Judaism, 
but he's also superior to any aspect of contemporary religion. And that means that Jesus is not just one good option among many ways of drawing near to God. He is the, he is the only way. Not just different in degree, but, but wholly different in kind. And I hope that you have been encouraged that we can draw near in worship and live by faith and persevere to the end and live a life of, of love. Still, we head to now... And you'll just have to forgive me. My head's a little foggy. I have fighting a little fever and not feeling so swift. Missed my, my small group last night, which was an utter bummer. There are different arguments for what, how to explain the resurrection, right? And here we're at, we're uh, today working through petercreft.com. We're at petercreft.com. Where Peter basically has laid out these arguments that we've recapped the last couple days. One, the key question is which theory about the resurrection best accounts for the data? And that neither God nor the resurrection are directly observable, but from the data that are directly observable, we can argue that the only possible adequate explanation is the Christian one. So he says there are five different possible theories, one of which is that, you know, is Christianity and, and its truth. The other four are the swoon theory, conspiracy theory, hallucination theory, and myth theory. And there are variations of each of those. And he said we'll tackle those from the simplest and most easily refutable to the to the more complex so beginning with the more easily refuted uh, theory it's it the swoon theory is that jesus didn't really die and this is i'm going to just start actually here with a comment that is not part of what peter has written to say that you know or you realize that basically this is the theory that the Quran and Islam put forth. I believe, generally speaking, because I am no scholar on, on Islam, that since Jesus is considered one of the five great prophets, I mean, it's amazing actually how much about Jesus Islam affirms, right? Even like a second coming. But they argue that he didn't die on the cross because God would never let one of the great prophets die such an ignominious death. Well, that means they deny the very thing that makes Christianity Christianity. Right? Kind of interesting. So that kind of makes it a difficult argument to say, well, I'll 
all religions kind of basically teach the same thing. All right, Peter Kreft says, refutation of the swoon theory. Here are nine arguments. Nine pieces of evidence refute the swoon theory. Number one, Jesus could not have survived crucifixion. Roman procedures were very careful to eliminate that possibility. Roman law even laid the death penalty on any soldier who let a capital prisoner escape in any way, including bungling a crucifixion. It was never done. I'm going to add this. I believe that in one extra-biblical source, there is a story about somebody who survived like for a day or two coming down off of the cross. I'd have to go look that up. But that's a great point. Nobody survived crucifixion. Number two, the fact that the Roman soldier did not break Jesus' legs as he did to the other two crucified criminals, see John 19, means that the soldier was sure that Jesus was dead. Breaking the legs hastened the death so that the corpse could be taken down before the Sabbath. Hmm. Remember that? I'm going to pause and just add another detail here. Remember that right when you're hanging there, the, 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 basic, the basic means of death was asphyxiation, right? Because you're, well, I'll just spare you. And the way that death was prolonged was that to breathe, the, the person being crucified could push themselves up to, so as to get a breath. So if they broke the legs, the person couldn't push themselves up, they would, they would uh, suffocate more quickly. So the Roman soldier didn't break his legs. There we go. Another piece of evidence, number three. John, an eyewitness, certified that he saw blood and water come from Jesus' pierced heart. John 19. This shows that Jesus' lungs had collapsed and he had died of asphyxiation. Any medical expert can vouch for this. Do a search. You will find that, in fact, what it was called blood and water was the was the fluid that collects around the pericardium. I'm not even going to say it because I'll, I'll blow it. Uh, yeah, it's what happens when you, somebody dies of asphyxiation. Number four, the body was totally encased in winding sheets and entombed. Hmm. I mean, I think it would have continued the suffocation. Evidence 5. The post-resurrection appearances convinced the disciples, even quote-unquote doubting Thomas, that Jesus was gloriously alive. John chapter 20. It is psychologically impossible for the disciples to have been so transformed and confident if Jesus had merely suffered out of a swoon badly in need of a doctor. A half-dead, staggering sick man who just had, had a narrow escape is not worshipped fearlessly as divine lord and conqueror of death. Evidence point number six. How are the Roman guards at the tomb out overpowered by a swooning corpse or by unarmed apostles? And if the disciples did it, 
They knowingly lied when they wrote the Gospels. And we are into the conspiracy theory, which we will, we will refute shortly. Point of evidence number seven. How could a swooning half-dead man have moved the great stone at the door of the tomb? Who moved the stone if not an angel? No one has ever answered that question. Neither the Jews nor the Romans would move it, for it was in both their interests to keep the tomb sealed. The Jews had, had the stone put there in the first place, and the Roman guards would be killed if they let the body escape. Right? Because they would be under the penalty of death. The story the Jewish authorities spread, that the guards fell asleep and the disciples fell the uh, stole the body, Matthew 28, is unbelievable. Roman guards would not fall asleep on a job like that, and if they did, they would lose their lives. And even if they did fall asleep, the crowd and the effort and the noise it would have taken to move an enormous boulder would have awakened them. Furthermore, we are again into the conspiracy theory with all its unanswerable difficulties. See the next section, which we won't get to today. Point of evidence number eight. If Jesus awoke from a swoon, where did he go? Think this through. You have a living body to deal with now, not a dead one. Why did it disappear? There is absolutely no data, not even any false, fantastic, imagined data, about Jesus' life after his crucifixion in any sources, friend or foe, at the time, early or late. Hmm. You ever think about that? If Jesus had not really died, how is it there is absolutely no stories about him after he supposedly survived? A man like that, with a past like that, would have left traces. And finally, point number nine, to refute the swoon theory. Most simply, the swoon theory necessarily, necessarily turns into the conspiracy theory or the hallucination theory. For the disciples testified that Jesus did not swoon, but really died and really rose. It may seem like these nine arguments are, have violated our initial principle about not presupposing the truth of the gospel texts, since we have argued from data in the texts, but the swoon theory does not challenge the truths in the texts which re we refer to as data. It uses them and explains them by swoon rather than resurrection. Thus, we use them too. We argue from our opponent's own premises. And there you go. Nine arguments against the swoon theory. I think if there is a place maybe just to kind of leave that for the day. Um, might, be, might be for one of us to, to say, which one are you going to remember since you're probably not going to remember all nine of them? I think for me, I might just combine several of them and go, how is it that a stone got moved by a guy who just hung on a cross to the point of passing out? Nobody noticed. And then where did he go? And why is there absolutely no record of who, where he went after that? Because uh, he didn't, at least not in the way that could be argued <laughs> if, if he didn't really die. We can trust our Bibles. More importantly, we can trust the most magnificent moment in the history of the cosmos outside of creation, which is the resurrection. Amen?
Amen.